great every Sunday to get to gather together and to worship and to kind of hit pause in life and figure out what God might have for us tonight. And if you're a guest with us tonight, uh, honored to have you here. And I'm Jack, one of the pastors. Uh, Brian isn't here tonight. They've got a family event that they uh, got invited to and excited for them to continue to kind of speak into some others' lives that... Um, that they've had a, a long journey with. So uh, we are in a series called uh, The Five Key Things That Will Grow Your Faith. And we've looked at a couple different ones because here's what we know about uh, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey is that you're kind of on a faith continuum of sorts. It may be way down toward one end of, of like, you know, I don't really have a lot of faith, preacher dude. Uh, I'm kind of here because I got invited. And I think that's awesome that you're here, we really want to be a place where people can investigate spiritual things and kind of come and meet uh, Jesus in maybe a fresh way, maybe for the first time. That maybe you're there. Maybe you're a little bit further along in your spiritual journey. You've come a little bit with Christ and you're walking life with him. Maybe you've been walking with him for a lot of years, but here's what I know about God. He wants your faith, yours, individual, you, point your finger at yourself, it's you. He wants your faith to keep growing, to keep taking deeper roots and growing in next steps with him. And so we're looking in this series of what are some of these key things that will always help you take next steps in growth. The first week we looked at this idea of, of kind of this biblical teaching, this applicable biblical teaching. Last week, Kimberly looked at this idea of saying, hey, we're about relationships. And there's some pivotal relationships, some kind of purposeful relationships that God's put in your life that he's gonna use those relationships because you're wired for relationships. So am I. That in the midst of those, God's gonna bring people in your life, gonna help you steer and grow in your faith, stretch your faith, maybe in times. And tonight, I wanna look at one that is a little bit more um, on a personal, individual level, something that you and I can speak into. So, you know, practical teaching, you really gotta find that from, you know, individual in the e-groups or listening to people, and you're hoping that they're giving you practical application in that. Relationships involve two people, but this is something that you can own on your own. And I know what I'm gonna talk about tonight is gonna push you. In fact, I know that what we're gonna look at tonight is gonna ruffle some of your feathers. I know what we're gonna look at tonight is gonna make you moan internally at times. And I wanna say that that's okay. In fact, I'm giving you permission to even moan out loud at times if you don't like what's being said because it's not really coming from me. This is coming from Jesus. And if you have a problem, well, then take it up with him because he's the one that's kind of pushing us in some of these things. We're gonna look at a pattern that we see in Jesus' life. We're also gonna look at a, a section of scripture where Jesus is teaching about three specific kind of practices that we can make and habits that we can have that will grow our faith. They will stretch you. Not pulling any punches, just letting you know. Because tonight we're gonna talk about these personal, you ready? Personal, Personal disciplines. Oh, disciplines, really? This is the night I came? What? Listen, personal disciplines. Let's all just say the word together so we get used to it. Ready, discipline, go. Disciplines. disciplines. Like habits, hey, that sounds better. Um, 
but they're disciplines, okay? That's what they are. Just go ahead and moan, because these are some of the challenges. In fact, here's what I want you to do. Turn to your neighborhood, maybe the people right around you, and I want you to list, think of all the disciplines that you are told to have that you should have in order to make life better. Things that, maybe you think of disciplines like this, things I should be doing, okay? Just brainstorm, maybe take 30 seconds. What are some disciplines, things I should be doing that I should be doing that I I don't want to do, I kind of want to do, but I don't. 30 seconds. What are some things that you, things I'm supposed to be doing? Maybe some of those I'm supposed to. Maybe you resonate with some of these. I'm supposed to wake up earlier. I'm supposed to go to bed earlier. I'm supposed to eat less, eat more of the good stuff, eat healthier, eat less of the bad stuff. I'm supposed to save more money. I'm supposed to spend more money. I'm supposed to budget better. I'm supposed to invest into all my relationships. I'm supposed to find time for myself. I'm supposed to start to exercise or exercise more. I'm supposed to drink less coffee. Whoa, preacher dude, whoa. I'm supposed to call, you're supposed to call your mama. All these things that you're supposed to do, right? And we all kind of groan with them, but here's what we know about discipline. When we hear a list, in fact, I could go on with more of a list and we all could leave here really discouraged because you realize I'm such a loser. I'm not doing all these. And maybe you feel bad, like, oh, I should be doing more of these things. And we know disciplined people. In fact, we admire them from afar. They jog by in the morning when you're taking out the trash every day. And like, hey, Bob. Hey, Jack. Hey, Bob, you look great. You've been jogging. That's awesome. Just want to punch you in the face. You know, maybe you ever feel like that? There's like these really disciplined people. Like, just like, you're like, I don't know if I could ever get there. Maybe uh, any cyclist in the room? Any cyclist in the room? Now, you maybe had that as a discipline where like you started off, maybe you didn't even like it. See, discipline can start with a really bad attitude, can it? Like, that's January 1st at every gym, right? That's like people there with a bad attitude. They're like, I'm gonna do it. Or actually, maybe it's January 2nd is the bad attitude. But they're there, they have a bad attitude. Maybe you started off cycling that way, but you're like, okay, I gotta push through. I gotta do this. And now, like, now you're wearing the shorts. Listen, that takes discipline, okay? That's why you ride in groups. Because you wouldn't go out like that normally by yourself. Just saying. But You've taken discipline, you've got accepted into the group and it's just become part of you. Maybe musicians, any musicians? Maybe when you were a kid and your parents had you practice, remember? Remember that, the P word, practice? And maybe it started off as a discipline you really didn't like, but now, older, it's actually some of the most freeing time you have as you get to practice because you want to now, because you enjoy it, because it does something for you. Maybe discipline can actually even start off as a challenge, something you don't like, but maybe over time it actually changes and transforms into a lifestyle, and maybe it even can become life-giving to you. Here's what we know about discipline. The truth is, discipline will always translate into progress. No matter what discipline it is, if you engage in it and you keep going in it, it will always translate into some sort of progress in your life even if you start off 
with a bad attitude against it. Maybe when you think about discipline, you think about spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits, you might hear people say, in fact, when you, surveys are done and they ask people, what have, what have been some of these habits that have been helpful for you, that have helped you in your spiritual journey? More often than not, what you'll hear from people is, okay, I've got this prayer pattern in my life and prayer has been something that's really been life-giving to me. Or I've got, I've been reading the Bible. I've been studying into the scriptures. I've been diving into those and it's been helpful to me. Or I've been, I've been practicing generosity and it, it's really kind of forming this generous heart in me. I've been unplugging and kind of plugging in with God and having some with God time. Whatever that may be, surveys have done all over, no, no matter what continent, that people who engage in some of these disciplines will say to you, it's developed my faith. And they would also say to you, you know what, maybe it didn't start off easy. In fact, maybe it started off really frustrating. Maybe it started off even a little hollow at times. But time and time and time again, people who have engaged in these practices come back and say these private, these personal decisions and disciplines and habits that have worked into my life have actually been life-giving to me. You could ask some friends. See, you may be sitting here, maybe you're on that faith continuum way down here by like no faith or like barely faith or like faith by the skin of my teeth type thing. I'm investigating faith. And you would look at the idea of, gosh, giving to God or gosh, spending time in God's word or gosh, praying. Like that just seems so foreign. I, I do that before a test. But the idea of like an ongoing pattern of that just seems so foreign. And yet for others of you, you've been having these disciplines, these habits for a long time. And, and you would say, okay, maybe there's seasons where it has felt more dry than others, but overall, looking back over those 15, 20, 30 years of investing in this, you're a different person because of what God's done in and through those experiences and because of those habits that you've built into your life, that people have seen changes in you. You've seen changes in you. So I know what we're gonna look at tonight as we look at this pattern that we see in the life of Jesus and these three examples that he gives. In fact, three is too many. I'm only gonna look at two. But in Matthew chapter six, he kind of lays out three specific things that he says he wants us as followers of him to engage in. And this pattern that we see in his life, and as we look at this, if you feel a tension rising up in you, that's cool. In fact, I kind of hope you do. In fact, I, I kind of hope you get mad at me. I, I kind of hope it ruffles your feathers a little bit because what that means, if you lean into it, is that maybe there's something that could be a habit in your life that would actually help meet some of the deeper longings of your life. And maybe it's just been void, it hasn't been there. And so as we look at this, I, I want you to lean into that tension. And I want you to kind of own that and wrestle with why am I feeling this tension? Why am I coming to this place of struggling with this? Because here's what you have to understand. Faith, in a lot of ways, is like a muscle. You've got to break it down a little bit in order to build it up. You've got to put a little bit of grease and elbow grease into it, break it down a little bit in order to build it up. It's kind of like a muscle that needs exercised and needs to work in order to grow and develop. So here's the pattern that I want you to see. Two different passages of scripture tonight. So Mark chapter one, 
uh, verse 35, we're gonna look at, and then we're gonna look at Matthew chapter six. And if you have version, uh, I put it all in the version Bible app, and you can download all the notes and everything's in there. In fact, a couple uh, book suggestions, because there's a couple guys that have written some amazing material on spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits. One of those is John Ortberg, who wrote a book called The Life You've Always Wanted, looking at spiritual disciplines, habits we can engage in in life. Fantastic book, okay? That's like spiritual disciplines for dummies, okay? That's awesome. Another guy, if, if you're more heady and you like the research stuff, Richard Foster wrote a book probably 40 years ago called The Celebration of Discipline. Fantastic book, a little headier. But those two books are great resources uh, when it comes to this idea of spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines, and how do we engage in those. And so I, just, I highly recommend uh, a couple of those. And so in Mark chapter one, here's what we see in the life of Jesus. So Mark, remember, is telling the gospel story so the life uh, kind of the birth of life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of Jesus in like a comic book version, okay? He is, there's not a lot of fluff, there's not a lot of narrative. There are hard-hitting, fast-paced examples of Jesus' life, and you're getting to peer in in the Gospel of Mark. And Mark chapter one unfolds, you can read it, talks all about the mission of Christ and why he's come and why he's here. Talks about the healings that he did in the very first part, and then uh, it talks toward the end of Mark chapter one. Jesus has all these people, the broken, the downtrodden, those who are uh, dealing with health issues, everything are brought to him after he's had his long, full day of ministry, and he heals every single one of them. And then he goes to bed, because everyone goes to bed, because they're tired. And then in verse 35, we read this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In fact, if you read through Mark chapter one, you'd probably miss this verse. But the reason I wanna highlight it is because this is a pattern we see in the life of Jesus all over the New Testament, all over every single gospel account of his life and as people are talking about Jesus. Here's what you will read. Jesus often withdrew to be with the Father. That's the pattern that you see. And friends, if the savior of mankind needs to withdraw to be with the father, then my hunch is you do too. Because you're not him, nor am I. And if that's a pattern of his life, then maybe that needs to be a discipline, a habit, a pattern of our own lives that it's this concept of withdrawing. I love what Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite spiritual writers, he writes this, if we don't have a hidden life with God, our public life for God cannot bear fruit. That's a powerful statement. That this inner life of the spiritual life that Jesus calls us to have with him is somewhat a private matter in some ways, never meant to only be private, but our time with the Father, our time with Christ, matters. I, I wrote this, the private life with God finds its most significant roots in the personal time in God's word and in praying with the Father, of being alone with. I think God loves to communicate with his people through his word. That's why we have the Bible. 
That's why it's been given to us, protected, preserved, in a way that we might know God. We looked at this the very first week, that this, this book is alive and active. It's more than a history book. It's, it's more than just something that tells a narrative accounts. That the scriptures say that this book is alive and active. That the Holy Spirit wants to speak into our lives. And again, it, it, that may be foreign to you, but it may be why you've read things at times, and you're like, man, that was, that was for me. I needed that. You ever had one of those moments? I hope you do. I hope you have thousands of those moments. I pray that for you. I pray that for us as a church that when we look into God's word, it just stirs us sometimes. Maybe disturbs us in ways. But it meets us where we're at. That this time with God is important. That time with people counts, right? How do you grow a relationship? Well, you gotta grow it with T-I-M-E. There's no shortcuts to relational growth. You've gotta have time with people. Those of you who are dating or married, you you kinda know this. Like, it takes time. Those of you who have great friendships or great family relationships, you know this. It's not just shared experiences. It's logged time together is how you get to commune and actually know people, and not just know about them, but to really know them. It just takes that. Uh, One of my spiritual mentors, Roger Barrier, always said this, God does not reveal the deeper things of faith to those who just stop by for a little chat. I thought, man, there's a lot of truth there. Now, I know for some of you, this is where the tension rises. (laughs) Jack, you don't understand the pace of my life. No, no, I do understand. I live there. And what I'm telling you is that's okay for a season. But if that's the constant pace of your life, then my question for you would be, are you having some with God time? Are you logging some with God time? And it may be that God's longing for you to do that. But sometimes the pace of our life, the things we say yes to, sometimes we say yes to so many things that we can't say no in order to experience the best things, the things that are most needed. God longs for us to have some with time with him. Jesus said in John, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you could do nothing. Stay, remain with me. And so what does that look like? Well. I just wrote down a few things. What does with God time begin to look like? Well, some of it's just spending time in God's word. Maybe for you, you've never even thought about what does it mean to read the Bible? What does it mean, like where do I start? Well, can I give you suggestions? Maybe it's just starting with one of the gospels. Say, okay, the gospel of John, and I'm just gonna read a chapter a day. Maybe uh, those of you who like wisdom, Proverbs has 31 chapters. How many days are in most months? 31, proverb of the day. Whoa, what, that syncs with the Bible? Yeah, it does. Psalms, if you love poetry, if you love music, if you love song, the Psalms are just written from such a depth, I love them. If you read five Psalms a day, you can read through the whole book in a month. Some of them are a little bit longer than others. Some are short. You version. Uh, We talk about that, we use that for our sermon notes and stuff. They are literally 
hundreds and hundreds of Bible reading plans on your smartphone for absolutely free. And you could start one. What would it be like to say, God, I'm gonna set aside 15, 20 minutes a day. You figure out, if you're a night owl, do it at night. If you're a morning person, do it in the morning. You like lunch, do it then. I don't, just figure out a time for you and put it in your calendar. Don't say, I'll get around to it. Just make an appointment with yourself and go, okay, this is, this is my with God time. And if people ask you if you have an appointment, just say, yeah, I've got some time with a friend. That's all you gotta say. And just build that into your life. Now, Jack, are you saying you have to do that every single day? No. Jesus didn't say that. I'm reading you what the text says. Jesus often withdrew to be with the Father. Is often more than once a month? Probably. Probably. If my kids did their homework often, once a month, they wouldn't go very far in school, would they? So figure out, use some common sense. This isn't to beat you up. This isn't to say, hey, wow, if you're not doing that daily, wow. I don't know if Jesus loves you that much. No, that's, that's not what this is about. This is about saying, look, if one of the most important relationships that Jesus thinks is his relationship with you, and if you feel any kind of inkling to say Jesus is important to me, then friends, you've got to log some time with and you gotta figure that out. Maybe it's reading through God's word. Maybe it's spending some time praying. For many of us, prayer is that weird mystical thing. You know, we pray here as a church. So you see it demonstrated. Do you know you can actually pray out loud? What? You totally can. I've seen people do it. I've done it. It's been awesome. Do you know you can actually pray in your car as you drive down the road if you turn the radio off? Like, I've done that. People may look at you weird sometimes because they realize there's no one else in the car. I don't have a bumper sticker that says Jesus is my co-pilot. I, don't, I just think that's weird and it doesn't let me speed at all. But um, <laughs> being real, being real. But we can pray. And prayer is not just this idea of I pray on the go all the time. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continuously, Paul writes. Well, gosh, how do you do that? Well, you kind of make just God a part of your conversations. So when you're conversing with someone, maybe in your mind, you're just kind of saying, God, I, just, I wanna pray your best for them, that they're going through a struggle. Would you just bless them? Or as you're walking away, or lo and behold, you actually stop and offer to pray with someone. <whistles> what? Yeah. Do you know I've had some of the best spiritual conversations, and I don't think it's just because I'm a pastor, dude, with friends who have been going through a hard time, and I literally just say, hey, that sounds really tough. Would you mind if I just prayed for you right now? And I bet eight out of 10 people would just be blown away and comforted by someone who would actually just do that. And you don't have to make it like a long prayer. In fact, Jesus is gonna talk about that in Matthew chapter six, because he's gonna look into this idea of prayer, so we'll move to that part. In prayer, here's what he's going on to say. He says, verse five, and when you pray, don't be like those hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. 
But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That Jesus is actually teaching that prayer is, okay, Paul's saying, okay, pray continuously. We could do that. We can have an ongoing conversation with God. But Jesus is actually saying maybe what he modeled. Jesus often withdrew to a solitary place and prayed with the Father. So prayer was focused. Prayer was purposeful for him. Maybe it was praying through the day. Maybe it was praying for his disciples. Maybe it was praying for needs and everything else that he saw. Maybe it was praying for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe it was just listening. Maybe it was all of the above. That having some focused prayer time. He's saying, look, some people like to pray out loud and make it all about them. And that's what the hypocrites, he calls hypocrites, the Pharisees back in the day, the religious people. They would pray and they would want people to hear their elegant words. In fact, it goes on in this text and says that he would pray so much that it would be like this, he would go on, these people would babble with their words. God already knows what you need, Jesus says. So you don't have to babble. God, your car broke again. It's a great car, I'm glad you gave it to me. But it's broken, it needs help. Please help. That's a legit prayer at times, right? Like, that's serious prayer. You don't have to let God know where, what mechanic said what and which part is out of place and all these things. Prayer's just a conversation and guess what? God already knows about it anyway. So you're just praying somewhat for your sake and somewhat to remind God Hey, you're with me. You're here. That God who is unseen sees what you do in private and he will reward you. A lot of people ask a question, what does Jesus mean by that? That he's gonna reward you. I've done a lot of study on that. And here's what I've come to. I have no idea. I don't. I don't know if that means, here's what I do know. I do know that God's not gonna answer every one of your prayer requests in the positive way that you want. God's not a genie. We don't just rub the Bible and ask for our three wishes. That's not how faith and life with God works. And if that's a vantage point for you or a viewpoint for you, then that's, that's off kilter a little bit. God is a a loving father, Jesus is laying out all through Matthew chapter six. Then your father, your heavenly father, who's engaged in your life, who's active around your life, who notices, he sees what everybody else can't see. And he says he's gonna reward you. What does that mean? I don't know. I bet it's gonna mean that he's gonna reward you in a way that might be different than me. Because here's what I do for my kids. I want to reinforce positive things, and sometimes I bring a reward into their life. And sometimes it's monetary, sometimes it's a pat on the back, sometimes it's speaking words of life into them, sometimes it's a hug, sometimes as parents, you know that you do that. So if you do that as an imperfect person, then our perfect Heavenly Father, I think we can trust Him with what rewards He wants to do fair? 
that he's good enough to trust that he will reward people who live with these kind of disciplines, these kind of habits, these kind of patterns in their life that say, okay, my with God time matters. It matters that I figure this out. I love what Eugene Peterson, who wrote uh, the translation called The Message of the Bible, he wrote these words, speaking to this idea of, of silence, of quiet. He said, quiet is the only adequate womb thick enough to shut out the devil's noise. So practice a life of listening. See, I think our with God times for a people who live in a culture that is a 24-7 kind of place of connectivity of everything, I think for our culture in particular, and maybe even for you and your stage in life, some of your with God time has got to experience some quiet. And for people who are always plugged in, always connected, and always on the go, I think that with God times becomes elusive. And so I just invite you to maybe live out, okay, what does it look like to, to get myself into God's word? What does it look like to pray? What does it look like just to sit and be still? The psalmist says, be still and know that I'm God. That there's something about this stillness, something about quiet, something about unplugging and withdrawing that Jesus often withdrew in order to be with the Father. That's the pattern that we need to have in our lives. And that's gonna look different for each one of you. For those of you who are, uh, maybe you're new moms and you've got two or three kids at home, man, withdrawing is like something you can't even do, right? But what would it look like for you to figure out what it might look like in your season of life? Maybe it won't look like it will when you're older, but in your season of life, how can you do that? For those of you who are in college and you're living in a dorm surrounded by people all the time and all the noise and you're up till two and you're up at you know, seven to go to class, well, you're dumb to take a 7 a.m. class, but like, <laughs> let's say you were moving. What does it look like to actually get stillness in your life? What does it look like to do that? Is that putting on like your headphones and like Bach? I don't know. What does it look like to practice some of this, to actually begin to put this into your life? To say, hey look, I wanna put some with God time into my life. So that's kind of that pattern we wanna see. That involves studying God's word, that involves prayer, and I think it involves this quiet stillness. The second one is what Jesus hits in Matthew chapter six, verse one. He says, look, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness in front of men, in front of others to be seen by them. Because if you do, you'll have no reward from your heavenly father. And then he's gonna go into this teaching. Listen, and and I know I'm really gonna ruffle your feathers here, okay? But Jesus said it, not me. I'm just saying what Jesus said. Here's what he said. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give, not if you give, when you give, when you give to the needy, do not know what your left hand, uh, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You've heard that phrase before, that's from the Bible. So that your giving may be in secret, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In a Jewish cultural context, when Jesus is speaking this in the first century, most of these people gave a lot out of obligation because that's what you did. 
you had to give to keep the temple kind of going and and all the priests and everything, the whole mechanism that was there. And there would be thousands of people sometimes lined up outside of the temple who would be asking for alms, asking for help. And a typical Jew would be giving 10 to 20% in just the tithes that the Old Testament talks about. I'm giving away resources to God's movement and to his work and this world and the impact it can have. And then I'm also giving above and beyond to help needs, some needs-based ministry that was going on. And maybe out of the kindness of your heart, you're moved and you say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna meet that need. I'm gonna meet that need. And you would do that. But often people would do that with, with such a show that it would be about them. And they would announce it, he's kind of being tongue-in-cheek here. It's not that people walked around with trumpets. Hey, look at me, I'm giving. But it's this idea, this motive of the heart, that uh, look, I'm giving to God's stuff or I'm giving to help others and I'm doing it in a way to announce. Does that mean I can never let, like, never let myself get credit for anything? Well, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. What he's really diving here is the motive of the heart. See, Jesus speaks about money more than marriage, heaven, and hell combined. Why? Well, think about it. When you die, when I die, because we all have a shelf life, you know that, right? So when I die, I take my last breath, right? And then on into eternity, we don't even know how to measure eternity, on into eternity, who am I trusting in that moment? Well, whether you're a Christian or not, you're trusting God, you're trusting a higher being. You could call it whatever you want, but for a Christian, we're, we're believing that we're trusting in God, who is a personal God who sent his personal son, his savior, Jesus Christ, that we can have a personal relationship with him. We're asking God, to, we're trusting him, and we have no say in the matter. After your last breath, listen, you're not making another decision. True? So, we're trusting God, and as a believer, as a Christian, we're trusting that God, a personal God, takes care of me, and he's got me here. Now, from your next to last breath, back to your current situation, right where you are right now, take a breath, right now, okay? From right now until your second to last breath, what is Jesus wanting us to do? To grow in our faith, which means what? Trusting in him. In our culture, like most cultures, what do we trust in the most? Typically not what's written on our money. What's written on our money underneath a dead president is in God we trust, right? It's in your dollar that you have in your pocket. You know that to be true, but the truth is we don't really live out that slogan that's written on a piece of paper. What we trust more in is the piece of paper. And so if Jesus wants to grow us in trust and we're trusting in him on into eternity and from our current situation to our second to last breath, doesn't it stand to reason that God might try to mess with the thing that we want to trust in most in our cultural context? Doesn't it seem to reason that Jesus would come along and he would say, hey, let's talk about money because I know the motive of your heart. It's the motive of most people. It's the motive of my own heart at times. What are you actually trusting? It's like Jesus is saying, where ultimately is your trust gonna land? Is it gonna land in your stuff? Or is it gonna land on me? 
And so all throughout the scriptures, the New Old Testament talks about a 10% tithe given to God's work and his movement in this world. The New Testament doesn't lay out a percentage. Here's what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter nine is the best I can find where it says, look, in your heart, set apart what you're going to give between you and God and you work that out and you think of giving as a, a priority and a percentage, not a tip. And so for a lot of people, they go, well, I'm gonna tip at God. I'm gonna see a need and I'm gonna meet a need. I'm, I'm gonna do a backpack or I'm gonna do something to world vision or I'm gonna do something to a need-based thing and that's good, that's, that's a great thing. But what Jesus is saying in these chapters, he's saying, look, don't give just on a needs-based thing. Don't, don't give just as a tip. You gotta make giving a part of who you are. And I know this ruffles your feathers because it ruffles mine. Because ultimately what you're doing when you give away and you realize I'm a manager, not an owner, that changes everything. Psalm 24.1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, period. That's how the sentence ends, period. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I'm a manager of what he's given me. It's the story of the talents. It's the story of God has given some this and some this and some this and what he's looking for is wise leadership of the talents and the resources that he's blessed you with and for you to work those, those gifts and talents and abilities and dreams and passions and resources that he's given to you, that you would invest those to move his kingdom forward and the ways of God would be evidenced a little bit more here on earth as they, is, as they are in heaven. You see all these scriptures begin to come together to begin to say, hey, look, this is about moving forward. This is about saying, hey, we're gonna trust in what God is doing. Jesus is seeking out, saying, I want to build the heart of a giver in you because at God's core, he's a giver. Not reluctant, he's exuberant with giving. That's called grace undeserved mercy, undeserved favor, that you didn't do anything to get it. Jesus shows up and says, I love you, period. That's how it ends. I love you, period. And I want you to have a relationship with God through me, through faith in me, and you don't even maybe even know I exist yet. But I love you, and I've come for you. And so Jesus pulls out these punches, and he says, look, what you give in secret, what, what you contribute to God's movement in this world and how you make a difference there and how you trust in me. God sees what is unseen and he will reward you. Again, what does that mean? I looked it up in Greek. I don't know, I don't know. I wish I could tell you, hey, for every dollar you give to God's kingdom, he's gonna give you two back. Wouldn't that be awesome? I don't know if he does. Here's what I do know. As I've lived this practice out, and as I've talked with hundreds and thousands of other people and heard their stories, there is something about people who live with these disciplines of with God time and trusting God with their resources, of giving away, that it grows their generous spirit and it grows in them and God has always taken care of them. He's always been active in their life. Jesus is asking us, hey, who do you ultimately trust in? See, the truth is this. Our time and our money will always honestly and objectively indicate what we really value most, period. What your calendar says and what your checkbook says. 
will determine what you value most, objectively. And what Jesus is saying is, look, I want you to trust me with your calendar. And I want you to trust me with the checkbook and the resources I give you. And as you seek me first, and as you seek to honor me and trust me, as you fuel my kingdom in the movement of the church locally and other opportunities that come away, as you do that, I will grow your faith. And I will reward you. I'm your heavenly father. I see what you do. And I will reward you. Again, what does that mean? I don't know, but I do know this. I have never felt unrewarded when I've lived this out. I've never felt unrewarded. I have felt exuberance and I've felt extravagance and I've felt blessed. And friends, I want that for you because I know what Jesus is saying is it's gonna grow your faith. He talks about this idea of fasting. We won't even get to that one. But fasting matters in a culture that's overstuffed. And it's not just around food. You can read Matthew 6 if you want. As I was thinking through this week, here's what I wrote down as kind of a a challenge, maybe an invitation to us, a bottom line, if you will. Learn to give God your first few minutes and your first few dollars and watch him work in your life. Give God your first few minutes and your first few dollars and watch him work in your life. That these private disciplines will grow your faith. That an investment in your private life with God will impact your public life for God. It will make a difference and he will grow and stretch your faith. I know this is a challenge. But here's what we know about discipline. Discipline will always translate into progress, right? We know that in every area of our life and it's the same in our spiritual life. So here's the invitation. Take 30 days, and if 30 days freaks you out, then take 10 days, and if 10 days freaks you out, then take three. Set a goal for yourself, and say, God, I'm I'm gonna give to you my first few minutes and my first few dollars. I'm gonna figure out what that means for me, And, and I'm just gonna trust you in these three days, or I'm gonna trust you in these 10 days, or these 30 days, and as I practice this, I'm gonna trust that you're true to your word, that our heavenly Father who sees what is unseen by others, sees what you're doing, and he will reward you. So Father, I pray for us tonight as a church. Uh, God, we wanna be a church that lives these things out. We don't just talk about it, but Father, individually, These private disciplines are not so much about what they do for other people. These private disciplines, these private habits and patterns are about what they do for us, what they do about you and me and our relationship with you. As we are set here to take communion and we remember the generous gift of your son, that he came on a search and rescue mission for each one of us to save us from our own sin, our own brokenness, our own separation from you, that we can never work our way to a perfect and holy God, but through a perfect and holy sacrifice that he made in his life, his death, his resurrection, he paved a way through faith for us to have a relationship with you, to live life with you, that we might be people who can step out in these private disciplines and
begin to wrestle with, okay, what does it look like to give God a little bit of my time and a little bit of the resources I have to invest in his movement and invest in his kingdom in this city and beyond? To make that a priority. And then as things come across our path, we invest also as you lead us. Father, as we take communion, we ask that your spirit would stir our hearts as we worship you, as we close our service here with a couple songs. Would you allow this to be a time where your spirit moves us to our next step? What does this look like for me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenging words, the comforting words, and every word in between. I pray for each one gathered here and each that may hear it online. God, that you would help them take their next step with you with some with God time and to honor you with the resources that you made them a manager over that you might bless and specifically and targetedly you would reward them in just the right way. We ask that in Jesus' precious name.